You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit and that we might turn to you and live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. St. Paul uh, writes not only to the church in Corinth, but to us this morning when he says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Why are you a Christian? I asked a man from my church in Beaufort that very question, and he replied, Because I'm from Texas. His reasoning was that if he had been born in Japan, he would have been a Buddhist. If in India, a Hindu if in Saudi Arabia, a Muslim, and so on and so forth. But because of God's grace, he was born in Texas. And so he was a Christian. Christianity for him and for so many of us is the product of one's environment. Faith is by osmosis. Certainly there is a greater likelihood that you are a Christian if you grow up in a Christian family or in an area in which Christians dwell. I didn't grow up in a Christian family, but I did live in a town where there were Christians, and that's where I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ spoken to me. It would have been no different, I think, if I lived in the remotest recesses of the Amazon. If a missionary came to my village, I believe I would hear the gospel and respond, whether I be Amazonian Andrew or small-town Virginia Andrew. Why? Because God sought me out, not the other way around. So regardless of where I first heard the gospel, my testimony is the same. Jesus sought me when a stranger. After all, a Christian environment is no guarantee that we come to faith in the living God. Otherwise, how do we find unbelievers in such a place as Birmingham, Alabama? the second most church city in America. Meridian, we're gunning for you. (laughs) Of course, it's not the environment. But coming to faith is a work of God that brings us to Him. And living in a place like Birmingham, we take for granted the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We forget that it is by the grace of God I am what I am. So the question is not why, but how is it that you are a Christian? Because we are only Christians by the sheer grace of God in Jesus Christ. But how does this grace work? Is it simply God being nice to us? Is God like an Italian grandmother who in their eyes we can do no wrong? God's goodness and loving kindness 
is not looking the other way, but by dealing squarely with what is wrong. That's why Paul writes to us this morning, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is speaking of the gospel itself. The gospel message by itself does not save, but God through the gospel saves a person in Christ. But it is this gospel, the good news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that he took on the problem of sin head on through his cross, and that through his death upon the cross and his resurrection, men and women come to know him through the preaching of that word and are saved. And this is not something that Paul came up with along the way. He didn't craft a pocket speech that could be given at any given moment in any given town. He had only that which he received, the gospel. He didn't invent it, but it was handed down to him as he handed it down to the Corinthians. And so it has been handed down to us today. It is of supernatural origin. Chuck Collins, who was preached from this pulpit during Lent before, said of his early ministry, I was a nice person preaching to nice people, telling them to be nicer. It was a message that may have been very touching, but not very healing. His experience was like that of C.H. Spurgeon, who said, I preached morality till I made all the people in my parish immoral. I kept urging them to keep God's law till I made them break it. But when I turned round and began to preach God's gospel, the dumb began to sing. This gospel is of supernatural origin. It is in accordance with the scriptures. It has been witnessed to by the hundreds and persists in spite of persecution and attempts to rub it out from the very beginning. The gospel is a received message, a message outside of us, a message of first importance. And so if it is true, as it is true, that means that each and every single one of us must reckon with this risen Lord Jesus. A few years ago, a television Q&A show asked a panel, which dangerous idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? One of the panelists actually asked for a little bit more time to come up with an answer. Another simply said, freedom. But when the host asked Peter Hitchens, the brother of the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens, his answer clearly startled the others. Hitchens answered, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy 
remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. The host didn't appear to understand the danger of the resurrection and so asked, why dangerous? To which Hitchens replied, because it alters the whole of human existence. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is real justice and real hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against it. Hitchens was right. The resurrection is the most dangerous idea. If true, it changes everything. If false, it is a monstrous lie. And regardless of how you respond, it will change your life, one way or the other. It will change your life here and now, and it will change your life for eternity. What will you do with this risen Lord Jesus? Has Jesus made all the difference? Or is he just a little help along the way? Is he just a cultural nicety? Something that we do on a spring Sunday morning? Is he nobody? Or is he your Lord and your God? Is he your all in all? Is he your Savior? Two stories to show how Jesus has made all the difference. And these are stories not of victory, stories that you would expect me to tell of how living in life in Jesus makes life all the better. But in fact, these are stories of defeat. These are testimonies of a faith that is not in vain. Story number one. Leah Sharibu, Northern Nigeria. Just recently, the Washington Post reported on 106 Nigerian schoolgirls that were kidnapped by Boko Haram, a Muslim extremist group that has terrorized northern Nigeria and beyond. The terrorists released 105 of these girls, keeping one in captivity. Why release 105 but not the one? Because Leah Sharibu refused to convert from Christianity to Islam. As the other girls left, Leah asked her Muslim classmates to please pray for her. And President Buhari of Nigeria, himself a Muslim, has vowed to do everything he can to seek her release. Now these girls were abducted because Boko Haram does not believe that w women should be educated. Boko Haram means Western education is forbidden in the Hausa language. When the 105 were brought back, the terrorists warned their parents, don't ever put your daughters in school again. But a greater evil than education in the eyes of Boko Haram is Christianity. It was Leah's education that made her a captive but it is her faith in Jesus Christ that keeps her a captive. Now, as the news cycle goes on, most of us will probably forget Leah Sharibu. 
But I can say for certain that she has not forgotten her Savior. But moreover, her Savior has not forgotten her. Story number two, the Golden Lampstand Church in Shangxi Province, China. Earlier in the year, the New York Times had a story of the Golden Lampstand Church. Isn't that a great name for a church? Uh, that was demolished, demolished by the Chinese government. The church had around 50,000 people attending it weekly. And the reason for its being demolished, according to Chinese officials, they said, quote, Christianity is a threat to the Communist Party's authority. And so they reduced the church to rubble. You can kidnap children, you can bulldoze churches, but nothing in this world can keep Jesus in the tomb. Regardless of what the world does and what the world says, Jesus is alive. And he's a threat because Jesus changes everything. Do you know what Leah's father said when they interviewed him about his daughter's kidnapping? And he saw those 105 girls return home to the village? He said that he was proud of her. And he encouraged her in the words from chapter 15 of St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians to stand firm and let nothing move you. And do you know what the people of the Golden Lampstand Church did the Sunday after their building was destroyed? They gathered again because Jesus is alive. If we would rather our child renounce their faith or think that there would be no more Advent if our building was reduced to rubble, then we have misunderstood who Jesus is. It doesn't mean that we don't want to keep our children safe or that we don't appreciate our beautiful building. But let us not mistake the God we serve. Christianity is not cultural. Our being Christians is not because of the village we're from or because our church is an attractive landmark. We are Christians because Jesus is who he said he is and he's alive. Jesus is not an idea, he is a person, and we must all reckon with him. We are not Christians because we live in Christian Birmingham. We are Christians because we have been purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we share in the victory of his resurrection over sin and the grave. Living in and amongst Christians will not give you this salvation or give you this hope, nor will coming to a beautiful church save you. For we must come to him who has sought us out. We must come to him. Nothing in our hand we bring. Only to the cross of Christ we cling. The great 20th century poet laureate of England, John Betjeman, came to this great realization in the midst of a cultural Christianity that was in England in the mid-20th century. Betjeman understood that he must reckon with Jesus himself and not be distracted by an assumed Christianity. And he wrote this poem, almost a prayer unto itself. But most of us turn slow to see 
the figure hanging on a tree and stumble on and blindly grope, upheld by intermittent hope. God grant before we die all may see the light as did St. Paul. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Hold fast. Hold fast. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.